Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Sunday, December 17th, 2023. I'm Jared Halpern. Relationships at home and abroad are testing the Biden administration. It just sort of begs the question of, you know, is the president aware at all? And if he's not aware, because we see these other reports, this is wearing on him. I'm Kristen Goodwin. Migrants from around the world converging at the U.S. southern border, fueling a humanitarian crisis, while Congress works toward a compromise on a bill pairing military aid for Ukraine with stricter U.S. border policies. These cartels, these transnational criminal organizations, are really exploiting the vulnerabilities of our border and hitting the border patrol as hard as they can. And I've never seen the border patrol stretch so thin. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. The House is adjourned, likely for the rest of the year. Lawmakers left, President Biden says, with a lot of work to be done. And after wasting weeks trying to find a new speaker, expel their own member and avoid a government shutdown. In a statement responding to a vote the House did take, officially authorizing an impeachment inquiry, President Biden says Republicans are focused on attacking him instead of doing anything to help make Americans' lives better. But the White House hasn't said much else about the impeachment process or a subpoena defied by the president's son, Hunter. MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have accused my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. Hunter Biden made a rare public statement outside the U.S. Capitol, telling House Republicans he will testify as part of that impeachment inquiry, but only in a public session. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre referred questions to Hunter's legal team, but did tell reporters the president was familiar with what Hunter said and reiterated the support the president and first lady have for their son. Those domestic political issues are not overshadowing overseas crises, including a visit this week from Ukraine's president as Congress stalled on a new aid package and growing concern from the administration about civilian casualties from Israeli airstrikes in Gaza. I want them to be focused on how to save civilian lives, not stop going after Hamas, but be more careful. President Biden saying that as his national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, met with Israeli leaders this week. So we start there with Fox White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich. You know, he criticized Israel's war cabinet and basically indicated that they have got to come around more openly to a two-state solution. Um, but separately, there have been some other reports, I think, that reflect the schism between the U.S. and Israel and also within the U.S. government about how Israel is handling itself here. You had a report uh, yesterday from Axios that really roiled the White House, stating that the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, told the Israelis during his meeting yesterday in Israel that 
Uh, they need to end their high-intensity kinetic campaign within weeks, not months. And they pushed back here at the White House very strongly on that characterization. They said, we've not been attaching any timeline to this. In fact, the U.S. has not been directing Israel to do anything, just asking questions and offering advice. But then Jake Sullivan addressed that this morning, and he indicated that the relationship that they have right now in this discussion is a, a lot more heavy-handed and that the U.S. does expect that they will have a transition to a lower-intensity phase, but that that is an ongoing discussion with the Israelis on what the timing of that is and what it looks like. And, you know, it's one thing to say that the United States isn't directing, or I think that the phrase that we hear from John Kirby a lot is we're not quarterbacking this, mm -hmm. but the United States is still the largest contributor of Israeli defense aid, and it's a most important ally. So when they have these discussions about, well, we're just offering advice, that advice carries some some conditions, doesn't it? Well, they haven't said that it carries any conditions. Um, they've been very careful not to lay out any red lines that Israel can't cross or U.S. support would somehow be dialed back. But it is, in a way, openly conditional. Uh, you know, we are about to vote in Congress on another package of aid uh, that would continue to fund Israel. And you have now a lot of pushback, especially from progressive Democrats, on the Biden administration's support for how Israel is conducting its war. And also, you know, this other reporting from Politico that the VP is even telling Biden, look, you've got to be tougher on Israel. You've got to show more open concern for the plight of the Palestinian people, humanitarian damage in Gaza. And the, the White House had to also you know, try to characterize that and say there's no daylight between them. And, and in fact, it would be a bigger story if she wasn't advising the president. But those headlines exist. And we talked yeah. about them. Right. And it does show that I think, again, sort of this growing concern, maybe politically from the, the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, that the president has not been forceful enough in calling uh, for one, a ceasefire, which the administration says it won't do, but at least being more open about its concern uh, of what we are seeing as it relates to civilian casualties in Gaza. Well, and I think that's why you're also hearing a lot of criticism from Republicans when they hear about this you know, internal push in the White House to be more sensitive because they say if you're looking at the U.S. from outside the U.S., what we're doing now is telegraphing to Hamas when things might die down. Um, we're helping the very enemies that the U.S. is trying to help Israel um you know, counter and, and overcome, and that it's a sort of pinball diplomacy, as Senator Haggerty put it this morning on Fox Business, that is really dependent on polling domestically, how the president's performance is rating amongst his base. And we have an election coming up, and when you've got progressives, you know, young youth vote, the Muslim vote, all sort of now becoming a bigger question mark on how this impacts the president's reelection that is going to become more serious of a topic. At the same time, the president has been pretty consistent in his support for Israel. That's not expected to change, right? We don't expect the United States to start pulling away from Israel diplomatically or, or from an arms standpoint. No, we don't. And even the president yesterday when he was asked, you know, do you want Israel to tone it down? Do you want them to dial things back? He said, no, I want them to be careful. I want them to be precise about how they're going in and doing these operations, be mindful of civilians, mitigate any casualties on the civilian side that you can, but don't stop going after Hamas. That's a nuance, though, that is a hard sell within, a, you know, a 
large faction of his base. And as more of these images of plight in Gaza come out, it's going to be a bigger drag on the president. How was Jake Sullivan received by the Israeli war cabinet? Well, Jake Sullivan makes it sound like they had very productive conversations, constructive conversations, and that they, the U.S. and Israel are still in lockstep. Um, but you also do see, granted, we're not in the room, so we mm-hmm. cannot, you know, with any sort of certainty. It's too bad, yeah. really, that they don't invite us in for these high-level <laughs> diplomatic conversations. Love, Boy, it would make our jobs a lot easier. <laughs> I'd love to be a fly on the wall there. Um, but, you know, the Israelis, when when they saw the report come out that Biden and, or the administration is calling for Israel to end its operation within weeks, not months, they were very quick to say, look, we're going to do this as long as we have to. Mm-hmm. And we've seen Israel become very quick to answer to any sort of direction perceived or real that's coming from the United States. Um, outside of those phone calls between the president and senior officials in Israel and these meetings that have been happening. Let's switch gears. uh, More domestic policy. Obviously, the House uh, this week authorizing this impeachment inquiry of uh, President Biden. That, uh, from a practical standpoint, doesn't really change anything. These investigations have been going on for months. They've been led by the Oversight and Judiciary Committees, the the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, This does formalize it, I suppose, and maybe gives them a little bit more oomph as it relates to some of these subpoenas. But uh, it did not change the the dynamic between the White House and Capitol Hill, did it? Um, I, I don't think that it did, except for uh, because the, this vote has now been formalized and every House Republican voted for yeah, it. Which was significant. We weren't sure if they all would. Yes. Yeah. And we've seen a number of those members defend their votes um, and say, look, the White House forced us into this because they were refusing to comply with investigative steps unless this vote was formalized. And what's really interesting is Kevin McCarthy, when he called for this inquiry and he you know, directed it to, to take place within these three committees and ha- give them these powers of investigation, he kind of protected his members that were in the center mm-hmm. um, or in you know, tough uh, political reelection. Yeah. Election, uh, postures so that they wouldn't have to take this tough vote. The White House um, has, or the White House Counsel's Office, really in, in, in concert with the White House, seems to have uh, seized on the opportunity to now corner each member of the House when they come up for re-election and say, you voted for this and there's no concrete evidence linking Biden to any wrongdoing and show that they are, you know, this is a political stunt. Um That being said, there is some legitimacy to the complaints from these committees that the White House has been blocking access to documents, to interviews uh, with people that they want to discuss things with. And now we'll see if that gets to move forward. But um, it's going to be a a Looming in the background as we get closer it's gonna to be 24. A, I mean, it's going to be a big part of, of the start of this legislative season that's coming up when they're trying to resolve Ukraine aid, trying to figure out a way to keep the government funded. A lot of issues that are going to require some bipartisanship on the part of the president and, and congressional Republicans. Well, I don't think that the impeachment inquiry and those issues are going to prevent the White House from getting the votes that they want on the foreign aid. I think that the members who are going to vote for foreign aid are, you know, military hawks, Mm -hmm. national security hawks, and they would be, you know, abandoning their own principles if they were to say, well, you're not working with us on the impeachment. That's not going to happen. And they would vote for it regardless of who president is. Exactly. Yeah. 
But how much of this, and, and this, I guess, is the, the other part of this. Obviously, we had this very aggressive statement um, from the president's son, Hunter. This was the first time he has sort of publicly engaged with uh, House Republicans outside the, the Capitol earlier this week. Usually his statements had come through representatives. They've been written. This is a new strategy from Hunter Biden. Um, the White House indicated that the president was familiar with what Hunter Biden was going to say. I, I thought that was an interesting way to describe it. And it shows perhaps, um, I, did you take it as like a green light from the White House that, that he could go about go about it this way? Well, that's the open question is, you know, Hunter Biden showed up on the Senate side, not on the House side, yeah. and he gave a press conference instead of sitting for, um, you know, a closed deposition. He did offer to give public yeah. uh, testimony and, and, you know, comply with that subpoena uh, in full view of, of the public and the press. The committees who were calling him in didn't want to do that. And so he said, look, I'll show up for a press conference instead. But he did defy that subpoena. And so if the yes. president was familiar with his plans to defy a congressional subpoena, does that carry any consequence or legal issue for the president? The White House did not seem to have a ready-made answer for that. And we've heard legal yeah. experts say, you know, maybe that is a problem. But I was surprised to see uh, the White House acknowledge that level of conversation between Hunter and Joe Biden, because they have said, we're not going to talk about private conversations. Yeah. And this was a departure from the norm. I mean, and that's what I was going to get to. There has been sort of a wall, and I've understood it, right, separating the White House from Hunter Biden, who is a private citizen and has his own attorneys and his own representatives outside of the, the White House uh, legal counsel. Does this impeachment inquiry and now trying to subpoena and maybe hold Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress make that wall harder to maintain for the White House? Maybe. I mean, I think that might be why uh, they were willing to say from the podium yesterday that, you know, the president was familiar with Hunter's plans because it it just sort of begs the question of, you know, is the president aware at all? And if he's not aware, because we see these other reports yeah. that he's this is wearing on him. How yeah. much is this affecting him? Um, you know, you see aides unnamed speaking to reporters and saying that we are very concerned about how this is going to impact the president. You see him slumping. It's one of his most sensitive issues. And it would be inconceivable to think that there wasn't a level of discussion within the you know innermost close circles to the president about what's happening with his son and how to keep him afloat uh, from all the stress of that so he yeah. can continue to do his job. Well, I mean, and you're talking about a relationship between a father and son, mm -hmm. which, you know, kind of goes beyond the official capacity of a president of the United States. Um, and so you do wonder kind of at what point the president maybe takes if at all, a, a more maybe public stand on all of this. Well, he has said that he is not going to interfere with a Justice Department yeah. investigation. That's different this than House different. Republicans. Yeah, This is different. Yeah. So maybe we see a different approach this time. That being said, um, if the president and his son start openly conferring about his strategy, that's only going to feed into Republican criticisms that, you know, Hunter and, and his dad did talk about business and all of these other, you know, accusations that have been thrown at the president and that these committees are trying to probe right now. It could fuel that um, skepticism within certainly the Republican base, but also among voters. We'll have a lot to cover in the new year. Jackie, always appreciate the time. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks for having thanks. me, Jared. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. 
That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The crisis at the U.S. southern border dominating headlines with Congress at an impasse over President Biden's more than $100 billion aid package, which includes additional funding for Ukraine, Israel, and $14 billion for U.S. border security. But Republicans vowing to vote against it until they secure sweeping changes to border policies, including tighter restrictions on asylum standards. House Speaker Mike Johnson. We need a clarity on what we're doing in Ukraine and how we'll have proper oversight of the spending of precious taxpayer dollars and the American citizens, and we needed a transformative change at the border. Thus far, we've gotten neither. Democrats and President Biden say they're willing to compromise, but have called the GOP's plans extreme. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. We have moved far more away from the president's original bill than they have moved off H.R. 2, and we want to come to a deal to meet people in the middle. Fox News Washington-based correspondent and co-anchor of Fox News Live, Griff Jenkins, is in Texas, along with independent border journalist Auden Cabello. The crisis at the border is really an important story that has hit these unprecedented levels. And as someone that started covering the border in 2010, back when Arizona Governor Jan Brewer was trying to pass this bill, SB 1070, to deputize her state troopers to get the border under control, we were talking about groups, the Border Patrol sources would call me and say, Griff, 25 migrants have crossed in the last 24 hours. And you may hear, by the way, in the background, the airboats of the Border Patrol here in Eagle Pass now working up and down. We had just a little while ago, a few hours ago, a drowning, sadly a reality almost every day. And it strikes to the to the heart of the humanitarian crisis here. But but back when we had 25 a day in 2010, it was something. Now, across the entire southwest border, there were more than 11,000 migrant encounters, meaning illegal crossings. And in the five of the nine total sectors from California to Texas, they had more than 1,000 migrants in each of those in the breakdown. So these cartels, these transnational criminal organizations are really exploiting the vulnerabilities of our border and hitting the Border Patrol as hard as they can. And I've never seen the Border Patrol stretch so thin. They're hitting a breaking point, and it's not hyperbole that myself, Bill Malusian, and others are saying. They're hitting a breaking point because they simply don't have the manpower. And when I say that, it's not just a cliche or, or sort of a, a, a open-ended objective statement. They're hitting a breaking point because of how outnumbered they are. In Lukeville, Arizona, where you've seen the images we've been bringing you for the last two weeks of migrant after migrant going through breaches in that wall, they are outnumbered migrants to Border Patrol agents 200 to 1. Here in in Eagle Pass, in the Del Rio sector, where we are having upwards of 3,000, sometimes more, 3,000 encounters in any given 24-hour period, they have 30 to 40 agents on any given shift. We have groups, we just had a group a few hours ago of 800 hitting at one time. And what happens about uh, the, the, the way it works, you've got 
30 agents on shift, the majority, if not 100% in some cases of them, are processing the migrants and transporting them. And that's what we've been showing. So in turn, that leaves scores, dozens, sometimes more than 100 miles of wide open border, unpatrolled, which allows cartels to move drugs or individuals that don't want to be apprehended. And that is why you keep hearing about the national security aspect of this. Right, yeah, and so I think you just answered one of my questions. It was you know, Lukeville, a remote area in Arizona, usually sees less traffic than other sectors, but it's now being called this epicenter of the crisis. And I think what you mentioned, they just don't have the staffing. Is is there any other reason why it's become this epicenter? I mean, recently surpassing a weekly record of 17,500 migrant crossings. Why Lukeville, why now? That is a fantastic question. And you're very right, Kristen. Uh, you put your finger on something very important. Last year, at this very same time, December of 2022, they would average in the Tucson sector, which is where Lukeville is located, roughly 700 encounters a day. Now, they're averaging every single day more than 3,000. They've had more than 3,300. I've looked at the numbers. But we really have a hard time on this side of the border, on the U.S. side. Even the Border Patrol senior officials have a hard time understanding why are so many going to Lukeville, Arizona, being moved by the Sinaloa cartel, which is the Western-based cartel uh, of Mexico that is predominant of El Chapo fame. Or why over here on the East Coast, just south of Eagle Pass in the Del Rio sector, are tens of thousands of migrants arriving on trains. I have with us, Kristen, Auden Cabello. He is an independent Mexican journalist. He lives on the Mexican side. Every day he sees in Piedras Negras across from Eagle Pass what's going on. And Auden, you heard Kristen's questions. Why do the cartels and those moving the migrants choose one place as to another and one place will be really busy at one point, then six months later it's, it's somewhere else? That is a great question, uh, great question. And uh, for me, living here in northern Mexico, um, I went to Tapachula to try to figure out and understand better this migrant flow. And Tapachula is ground zero, where all the migrants arrive in southern Mexico once they've crossed the Darien Gap in central Mexico. And what happens in Tapachula is that migrants are being filtered. Who's filtering them? It's, uh, like you said, cartels, uh, criminal organizations, corrupt government. And in our case here in Pera Negras, we're getting the vast majority, 90, 95% are Venezuelans who are very poor. They don't have money for a bus ticket. So what they're doing is riding the freight train. And that's why you're seeing thousands arrive here to Pera Negras. Uh, they're the poorest of migrants and they're taking the freight train. It's free. But those that do have resources, they want to guarantee to make it into the U.S. So they're paying. They're reaching out to cartels. They're reaching out to individuals who are, are willing to take that money. They're paying up to $10,000. And that's what's made Lukeville, Arizona, a hotspot. That's what they're charging them. They're taking them to that specific area and crossing them. And you've seen the footage from Bill Malusian um, where the cartels are, are cutting the, uh, the border wall and getting these migrants through. And that's what's costing them that much uh, money. Um, in contrast to what we're seeing here in Piedras Negras, again, these are the vast majority Venezuelans who haven't paid much. And that's why they're arriving in thousands uh, on freight trains. And we had a train whistle in the background of this 
interview you heard there, Kristen. Uh, it's just a an ongoing problem, and, and we posted, folks can go on Twitter. I posted an exclusive video I got from one of our Fox sources of tens of thousands of migrants in a town about three hours south of where we are in Eagle Pass waiting to get on trains. And so as we speak right now, Auden and I are looking at a group of about 50 migrants that have just crossed the river waiting to be processed. But yet we know from that video shot of at least several thousand waiting to get on a train that these agents are going to see those migrants in the next 24 to 48 hours. I also want to ask you, because I've seen some Border Patrol chiefs, and I believe you, you tweet, retweeted one, uh, posting about drug seizures. What have you seen or heard in that regard? Well, the drug seizures are off the charts. And here in Eagle Pass, at the port of entry, they have $1.3 million worth of methamphetamine. And they're bringing in that deadly fentanyl drug, which has cost so many American lives. And then, of course, fueling the crisis of methamphetamine, cocaine, and even marijuana, despite its legalization in so many states. And so, you know, this is, if you think of the cartel as the sort of bloody gangsters uh, uh, glamorized in like movies and videos that, that you see out there, you've, you've really misunderstood who these cartels are. They're operating like Fortune 500 corporations and they know what they're doing. And so the, the, the people, moving people and smuggling people is only part of how powerful and how, how their operation works and how they enrich themselves. The narcotics is just as big. And of course, when you think about the the large groups of people we're seeing and, and you know, we've tried to lay out for you, you know, the fact that they're distracted with these large groups, the, the cartels are having free reign of moving these drugs in here. And, and, you know, if I could just sort of add one thing in here, Kristen, I'd like to, we've got, you know, the lawmakers on Capitol Hill, apparently heading home now for their Christmas break, right. didn't get a border bill, but they're talking about a border bill. When, when, when we hear these reports, Kristen, guys like Auden and I that cover this are kind of blown away because they don't need more money to pay for more buses to transport. They need to strike at the heart of stopping the narco trafficking and put in place things that will disincentivize these migrants to come. And one of the things being discussed about is raising the threshold to meet credible fear for people to claim asylum. That's significant because one thing that I don't think anyone knows, but in talking to Auden, we're learning these migrants, Auden, are not really mentioning credible fear when you talk to them before they cross. That's exactly right. I talked to them on the Mexican side prior to them crossing. Uh, I go when they get off the train. I, I walk with them, I talk with them just to get their, their understanding of, you know, their mindset of what they're thinking. And I ask them about these, you know, these questions that, uh, you know, we see here in the U.S. about credible fear. And, and I've asked them and they're all saying they're coming for a better life, better opportunities. None are mentioning uh, credible fear, um, that they're fleeing their governments. It's, it's none of that. None of them that I've talked to have mentioned that. They're all looking for a better opportunity and they're taking advantage of the open border, the invitation that President Biden gave them. And uh, they believe that the, uh, the administration is going to help them. Most of them are coming for the free handouts that they've heard of, um, not knowing that 
you know, hundreds are sleeping in the streets of New York and Chicago. And I've showed them images. Are, are you aware that you're going to uh, a sanctuary city where migrants are sleeping in the streets? I said, well, I'm willing to test my luck and go through that. It's better than, you know, what I'm going through in Venezuela or whatever country they're coming from. Mm. I said, but without a doubt, um, I'm looking for a better life, better opportunity. I know that it was uh, probably just recently, actually, uh, Fox uh, covered a Moroccan migrant who, I believe, entered the country and was thanking President Biden, kind of touching on what you just said, these uh, the open borders and just uh, taking advantage of that. He was thanking President Biden, and I believe now he's uh, homeless in New York City, reportedly. Uh, if, if you've seen that, it, it's interesting, and I, I want to touch on uh, that as well, because there was a uh, I want your your in your input on this former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo a Democrat did an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal titled the migrant crisis and the urban death spiral saying cities are going backwards dealing with post-COVID realities homelessness crime and an influx of migrants uh, he says forcing cities to pay for a migrant crisis is government malpractice a Democrat uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell posting to social media this week, more and more Democrats are recognizing that border security is not a sideshow, calling it a main event. Arizona's governor, also a Democrat, Katie Hobbs, calling for uh, federal reimbursement, saying that it's cost the state uh, over $512 million. Uh, do you agree with all that's gone on in the last year, the surge of migrants, that there's been a shift in perspective from Democrats on addressing the issue? Yeah, I think so. I'll actually let Auden uh, uh, weigh in here because he he covers the border and he's he's got uh, U.S. citizenship, Mexican citizenship. He's over in the U.S. a lot as well. And you talk to the lawmakers and, and you know, for us in Washington, watching this at a national level, we're shocked when all of a sudden a Democrat will change tune. But but you hear, you know, the sheriff here is a Democrat, the mayor, but yet the congressman's a Republican. Like, do you see the politics in this or do you see everybody kind of starting to acknowledge that this is a full-blown crisis? You have a little bit of both, but here in the border communities like Eagle Pass Del Rio, where the vast majority are uh, Democrat, They've been outspoken. Uh, they've been criticized in the Biden administration, but just like a, a lot in the media that are being censored, uh, I think to some extent uh, their voice is not being heard. For example, here, Mayor Salinas in Eagle Pass has been complaining that the federal government is not answering his calls. He's not getting any help from the federal government. So he's having to put up with this on his own. And that's what's hurting the, the border communities. Um, and that's what's turning a lot of the Democrats uh, to oppose what's happening. Uh, against this administration because nothing is being done. Um, I will add uh, on that other note uh, as far as uh, the drugs also, um, what's happening. Right now we're in the Christmas season. Uh, a, lot, a lot of tourism, a lot of families going back and forth and they're taking advantage of the vulnerability at the bridges. And that's when you see a lot of drugs being pushed in. And that's also a big factor that ties into all this that uh, law enforcement is just completely overwhelmed, whether it's under the bridge currently like we are right now with Border Patrol or on the bridge with CBP officers dealing with the high traffic and, and cartels taking advantage of this high traffic to smuggle in as, as many drugs as they can. And all this is hurting the communities in the U.S. And that's why you see this outreach from Democrats saying that this is more than, than a, a, a security crisis, it's a humanitarian crisis, drug crisis, crisis at every level because of these uh, open borders uh, that we have. 
Yeah, I know. I so I so appreciate it. All of the, all of this. It's just been. I mean, I really hope you both take care of yourself down there. Uh, it's it sounds wildly scary. I mean, Auden, I want to ask you just before uh, we log off here. How do you, you know, you're documenting these these trains and you're you're coming in contact with, you know, various people that, um, you know, maybe a bit unsettling. How do you protect yourself when you are are recording and capturing this and just making sure that, uh, you know, you stay out of uh, what could be a, a delicate, potentially scary situation? It is delicate being in Mexico. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the countries with the highest rate of journalists being murdered. Uh, me as an independent, I'm completely by myself in Mexico. Uh, but w one thing that I do is I don't expose the corruption or the cartels on how they're making their money. I simply walk with the migrants, uh, document the migrants, and talk to them. So um, I think that's what I'm aware uh, and conscious of. You know the, the risks that I run, but I think that's I always I always keep that in mind. You know, just focus on the on the migrants and not focus on exposing what's happening in Mexico, even though it's quite evident. Um, I could freely talk about it, but that's not, you know, my, my objective, and that's what's keeping me safe, and, I'll, you know, I always stay conscious of that. And, Christian, I'm just going to pick up on that because I've, I've known Auden for uh, many years covering the border, and he's being a little modest, and your question, Kristen, really matters to put into perspective, right. and, I, and I'm going to make him weigh a little more because I know he knows a lot more than I know, but... We were just featuring, uh, I believe it was like a 60 Minutes piece, or someone in the media was, was featuring an interview with the mayor, a woman, of Tijuana, Mexico. She's living at the military barracks in Tijuana because she can't live in her home for fear because the cartels want to kill her. The cartels are ruthless. And so should Auden accidentally give up some sort of information or put a spotlight that the cartels don't like, they won't hesitate. Like, we, we take such for granted the freedoms we have here in the U.S. And uh, God knows I've gotten, you know, uh, chasing migrants and been in law enforcement's way sometimes. Oh, Griff, we want you to tell a story, but you got to get out of here. <laughs> it's not like that when you start shining a light on the cartels. And Auden, you really, journalists in Mexico, particularly covering things like the border and, and the cartels, it's very, very dangerous. Do you have a sense for how many journalists have been killed or injured? Well, it's, it's quite a few, making Mexico the top list of uh, countries with most uh, journalists being killed. And um, on that point, for example, just here in Piedras Negras, none of the local media covered the border crisis yeah. other, other than myself wow. and one other independent individual. So that's only two of us on the Mexican side covering what's happening here in Eagle Pass from the Piedras Negras side because everybody uh, on, on the local media, state media, is not covering at all. What they do is they'll take screenshots from my videos and use me to report somewhat of it, but not in depth. So have you ever been targeted? I have not been targeted um, directly or indirectly to to this to this day, and hopefully it doesn't happen. That way, I can continue bringing that perspective from the Mexican side. That's a that's an insight you don't rarely get. Yeah, Kristen. Uh, absolutely. Gosh, you know, I I really appreciate it, Griff and Auden. Please stay safe uh, there. Fox News Washington-based correspondent and co-anchor of Fox News Live, Griff Jenkins, and Mexican journalist Auden Cabello. Thank you so much. Stay safe out there. Thank My you. pleasure. Thank you. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders 
no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. That'll do it for this edition of the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Tomorrow on the Fox News Rundown, Mike Emanuel is joined by Congressman Jim Jordan to discuss the impeachment inquiry and Hunter Biden investigation. Plus, Americans are experiencing tipping fatigue. Chris Foster speaks to a tipping etiquette expert. I'm Kristen Goodwin. Thanks for listening to the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.